Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of my child. And, she, and as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift the boy and hold him fast with your hand. For I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with a bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let us pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your word that you have given it to us so that we can see of your faithfulness. Lord, that you are unchanging, Lord, that you are steadfast. Lord, I pray that your people would be encouraged this morning as we are reminded of this, of this faithfulness and these promises that you keep. Lord, I also pray that where we have forgotten of this faithfulness and we have gone to do things on our own or try things on our own, Lord, I pray that there would be conviction and repentance there. Lord, I pray that as Matt... Uh, preaches your word. I pray that you'd be with him, be with the words that he speaks. 
whether you would encourage his heart as he proclaims your truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have arrived in our study of Genesis at the moment we have been anticipating for a long time. This promise that God has given Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 of a son who would be born, that day has come. Only like most of the days that we anticipate in our life, it doesn't come quite as we thought it would. In fact, there's some really difficult decisions and some heartache that go along with it. And I I want us, before we jump into this text, just consider some of the difficult decisions in your life. The ones that you have agonized over, maybe enduring sleepless nights of fretful anxiety, and as you cried out to heaven, heaven seemed silent. There didn't seem to be that answer of what should I do? Into that, O Christian, be reminded today that God is not silent. God is not passive in our life. Whether we see it or not, whether we understand it or not, he is working for our good and his glory. This passage just sort of seems to pull the veil back on heaven that we can see into what God is doing. And yet if we're not careful as we read this passage, we're going to end up thinking about it like we read our own lives, our own circumstances and situations that we encounter. And here's how we read those. This moment is all about me. It's about my decisions. It's about what I do or don't do. It's about my hardship. It's about what I want. But as we read this, this is a true historical account of Abraham, of Sarah, of Isaac, of Ishmael, of Hagar. And yet this story is not about any of those people. This story is about God. Isaiah 46, verse 10, this is uh, fill in the blank for you, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, this is God speaking, my counsel shall stand, and I will. That's the fill in the blank for you. God says, I will accomplish all my purposes. There's situations going on here. There's been human scheming that's gone on in this family leading up to this part of the story. And God says in all of that, over every human decision is the will of God, the sovereignty of God. And he says, my counsel, my will will stand. I will accomplish all my purposes. Isaiah 42 verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will give my glory to no other. That in the life of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Ishmael, in your life, in your family, God is working for your good, but his glory, and he will not share his glory with another. That's why all throughout this passage, even though there's, there's human names attributed to it, we see the fingerprint of God. Look at verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah. The Lord did to Sarah. The Lord had promised to Sarah. Verse 2. At that time which God had spoken. So God had not only spoken, but he had spoken about a specific time. Verse 4. God commanded. Verse 6. God made laughter for me. Verse 12, God speaks to Abraham. Verse 13, God promises. Verse 17, God heard the voice of the boy. God calls to Hagar. Verse 19, God opened her eyes. Verse 20, God was with the boy. This is all about the activity and the power of God working behind the scenes that we almost never get to see. 
It's behind that veil of eternity, that veil of heaven. And just in this scene, the veil gets pulled back and we're told all those details. Friends, in your life and mine, we are rarely told those details, but God is at work. Though we seldom see it. This story, your story, is about God sovereignly working in the lives of ordinary people, sinful people, to accomplish his purpose. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 says, Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. From all eternity past, this has been the plan of the sovereign king of heaven. You and I just get to be part of it. Friends, that is outstanding joy on days when things just see. Have you had these days where it just seemed like everything comes together? It, you, don't even, you don't even know what you're doing right. Everything just seems to work out and we go, oh, isn't God good? But this is also an amazing foundation and security on the days where it feels like everything's gone wrong. This would never have been our plan. Maybe it's so difficult or so painful that we say, there's no way that this is good, and yet we rest as Christians that the sovereign king of the universe has got this. Now, we say that to kids all the time. Our, our daughters were playing volleyball, and my wife was coaching back in the day. They'd be struggling, and either from the sidelines or very loudly from the stands, uh, she would yell out, as you have done to your kids, you got this. You got this. And sometimes that just wasn't true. They did not have it. It was not going their way, and it didn't matter how hard they tried. The other team was better. They were going down. Friends, in our most unstable days, we can say with all truth and all certainty, God has got this. There's not one moment of human history that is outside of his sovereign control. That's the point here when we read in verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Now we read this quickly. We, we've been studying it. So because of the chapters, it, it's been several weeks of we have looked at this promise. But you can sit down and read Genesis 12 to Genesis 21 in just a matter of minutes. But friends, this was 25 years. 25 long and fretful years have gone by. And when we get there, God speaking through Moses, who is the scribe writing this down, says, I perfectly kept my promise in my time. Back in Genesis 12, verse 2, he says, I will make of you a great nation. I will make of you Abram, whose name means exalted father. And yet you have no children. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then a long time goes by. So kids who are in the room, let me ask you a question. Imagine, and maybe you already have one, right? So just imagine if you don't. Imagine that your dad says to you, I'm going to get you a bike, a new bike, an awesome bike. It's the bike you've been hoping for and wanting for so long. I see celebrating going on in the room all over the place. Yes. <laughs> They're like, I received this promise, right? 
And then, and what, what holiday's coming up, kids? Christmas. And then Christmas comes, and there's no bike. And the, but your birthday's coming, and the birthday comes. No bike. Next Christmas, no bike. Next birthday, no bike. Just repeat that 25 times. Boo. Boo. <laughs> we just got a bunch of angry kids on Christmas morning, right? Imagine if your dad said to you, I will get you this bike. He doesn't tell you how long. And 25 years later, he shows up. Now, <laughs> Quinn, how old are you? 10. So when you're 35, your daddy's going to get you a bike. <laughs> the kids, how many of you are going, bad deal, right? Imagine that. Imagine the response. How many of you would think, I think he forgot, right? Here's Psalm 71, verse 22. This is, kids, our memory verse for this week. You are faithful to your promises, oh my God. Let's just say that together. You are faithful to your promises, oh my God. On the days when it seems like everything is coming together, all the pieces just seem to line up perfectly, you are faithful to your promises, oh my God. On the days when nothing is coming together and all you feel is heartache and alone, you are faithful to your promises, oh my God. God keeps his promise in his time. And in fact, in a way that proves it was only him who did it right from the beginning. Only God could have done this. Because we've said this enough in our study of Genesis, we should already be looking as we read this, where's Jesus in this text? How is this text meant to point us towards Christ? So when we hear that they were waiting for a promised child to be born, our minds should immediately fast forward to Christmas. Right? That, that little picture in the middle, uh, like on that coloring page, should change to a manger and two parents gathered around a newborn baby, a promised baby that God's people had been waiting for for a lot longer than 25 years, by the way. The only reason we can do that is because we know the end of the story already, right? We know the end of Abram and Sarai's story. We know he's going to go from exalted father to the father of nations, Abraham. She's going to get renamed princess, Sarah. That a child of promise is going to be miraculously born to this old couple. We know that. We know with the promised Messiah that... Uh, God is going to overshadow young Mary, and within her womb, the womb of the virgin is going to be Jesus, the promised Savior yet to come. And yet in our life, in our story, we very rarely know ahead of time how it's going to turn out. In fact, we live most of the time in that 25-year window of going, God, I'm not sure you're going to keep your promise. And so here's the truth, Psalm 71, verse 22, say it with me, you are faithful to your promises, oh my God. Whether I feel it or not, you are faithful. Look at verse 3. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. 
Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Can you hear the amazement in her voice? Her her initial laughter is a laughter of skepticism. There's no way this is going to happen. Now her laughter sounds like Abraham as he falls on his face before God and goes, God, only you could do something like this. Who would have dreamed that this is possible? The promise so long in coming, so beyond even the realm of possibility, is here. And Moses, the author of this book, makes a point of telling us, again, as if we can't do math from all the previous times, he's told us that Abraham is 100 years old. He's reinforcing the fact. Did you hear when we read it? Uh, This child born to Abraham, a child born of Sarah. It, It wasn't some other arrangement they had made. God took a really, really old couple and miraculously gave them a baby. This was the promised fulfillment of God. When we first When Abraham first hears the promise, Genesis 17, verse 17, it says he fell on his face and he laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? The answer is yeah. Yeah, God, you can do this. Genesis 18, verse 12, Sarah laughs in disbelief and God corrects her. And it's almost like God just says, All right, wait and see. I'll come back in a year. Let's have this conversation again. Friends, I love it that in our moment where we can't see what God is up to, we can't see how God is at work in this situation, he says, just hang on and trust me. You don't have to figure the whole thing out. You don't have to have all of the answers. Just hold on and trust me. Just wait and see. By the time this child shows up, Laughter has been such a part of it. And God had said, you're going to have a child. You're all laughing at it. You're going to have a child, and we're going to name this boy Laughter. That's literally what Isaac means. It just means laughter. Imagine the next baby born to EWC was just named Laughter. We would say, well, that's kind of strange. But that's been, it's been the mark of this promise. It's the mark of this child. Like, this is so ridiculous, it's laughable. Only God could do this. And yet, even in this passage, uh, the laughter isn't over yet. I I love Sarah's response. Instead of laughing at me, they're going to be laughing over me. Oh, this is the goodness of God. But as I just said, the laughter hasn't come to an end. Remember, in this time, in this period of human history, uh, infant mortality and child mortality was really really high. It's only been in the last century or so that those numbers have been pushed down. And so the the fact that the child is born doesn't even guarantee that the child's going to survive. It was super common in the ancient world, uh, and even even in more recent times, to have large families of eight, nine children, and they would lose three or four of them. So the fact that he survives to the time when he is weaned, which is probably about three years, is enough for Abraham to say, let's have a feast. Let's have a party. Not only has he kept his promise, but he has kept the promised child. All right, so look at verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. 
But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. This giant celebration, God has kept his promise. Now, now what was the promise? It wasn't just that a child would come, but I will bless you. I will make of you a great nation that from this child is coming the chosen people of God. From this child is coming a great nation of God's people. That means if the child doesn't survive, the promise doesn't come true. All the hopes of God's people are actually tied to Isaac all alone. And so on the day that he's weaned, he has made it. He has survived that volatile period of time back in those days. They are celebrating, this is the child of promise. This is the child who will inherit all that I have. Except there's a problem, there's another child of Abraham. There's Ishmael. So they circumcise him on the eighth day. And then about two years, three years goes by. And the whole time Ishmael is asking himself the question, is this boy going to make it or is it still just going to be me? At this point, he is the only heir to all that Abraham has. All these promises that my dad keeps talking about that God is making to our family, I don't think there's ever going to be a baby. It's going to be me. I'm going to inherit all of this. I'm the promised child. And then the baby's born. You can almost hear there's sort of this this unrest just beneath the surface here. The child survives those next couple years. And this celebration, is to, it's like punctuation marks to say, this is the promised child. This is the heir. Only Ishmael's laughing. Now, if we're not careful, we'll read right past that and be like, I think Sarah just had a giant attitude problem. Like you hear a child laughing, and she's, she's the, the original helicopter mom. Like, how dare you laugh over my child? What were you saying to my my baby? That's not what's happening here. There's almost a level of suspicion. We're going to see this in the way that Ishmael and Hagar are put out in a way that could have cost them their life. As if Ishmael is laughing with his friends. Oh, they, they think he made it this far. Accidents happen on a farm. I don't think this boy's going to pull through. I think I'm still the promised child. And yet in this story, it's not about Isaac, it's not about Ishmael, it's about God. That God is the giver of life. God's the one who gave this promised child. God is the one who has chosen Isaac and not Ishmael. That's true. We see it in the book of 1 Samuel one twenty-seven. Samuel's mother's prayer. She says, for this child I have prayed, and the Lord has granted me by petition that I made to him. God, this child is a gift from you. And therefore, Hannah says, I'm giving him back to you. But this was not just any child. Isaac was not just any child. He was the child of promise. He was the heir of the covenant. Ishmael, and remember, let's remind ourselves who he is. This is an Arab boy, a descendant of Ishmael, who's right about the same age as Ishmael. He's the son of the servant girl. He's Abraham's plan B. If God doesn't keep his promise, I'm going to come up with my own alternative means of fulfilling God's will. And so he has this child with the servant girl, Hagar. 
But recount it. He was 13 years old when Isaac was promised. Ishmael is not a baby. He's 13. That means he's 14 when the baby is born. And now the baby is weaned, which means he's probably 16 or 17 years old. This is not a child anymore. This is a boy who's on the verge of becoming a man saying, This is mine. This is my inheritance. He'd had a long time to think about this. And in his heart is laughing, saying, There's no way. There's no way I'm going to give this up. I will be the heir. That, that threat of possible harm that accidents happen, just seems to be embedded in the text. Giving this extreme send-off. Look at verse 10. So she said to Abraham, this is Sarah, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. His boy, his only boy, is 16 or 17 years old. Just feel the weight of that. Verse 12, but God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of the slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Hey, we don't know what it looks like. We are... We're passing through time in just giant leaps here. But for the last almost 20 years, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael had learned to live with some degree of tension within their family. Some tension over the child that they had and the child they were waiting for. Which is why in his laughter, there's something serious and severe that has happened. Uh, Some sort of threat that I think we see echoed throughout Ishmael's descendants. You know, if you look at somebody's life, in the short term, they can look really, really similar and yet be headed in slightly different directions. And you follow that over a lifetime and you find a great separation. We see this in families with one child who's a believer and one child who's not a believer. Maybe they remain close friends their their entire life, good people their entire life, and yet the trajectory changes. And by the time we get to grandchildren, things look really different in those two households. By the time we get to great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, with one, Lord willing, there's just a heritage of faith that we see passed on from generation to generation, and another one, they're indistinguishable from the rest of the world. That's what we see with Ishmael. When we look at trajectory, things seem to really be moving apart. Look at Psalm 83, verses 4 through 8. Describing this attack that's coming on God's people. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. These are the people of the earth coming against God's people, the children of Israel. Let's wipe them out. Let their name be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord... Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, those are the descendants of Ishmael, Moab, the Hagrites, Gabal, and Ammon, Amalekites, Philistia, the inhabitants of Tyre, Ashur, also join them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. 
We said a couple weeks ago that the trajectory of Lot's offspring, of his daughters, of the sons that were born, just even though they're really close to that family, it deviates. That they were born under the blessing of the umbrella of God's covenant people, but they were not God's covenant people. And within generations, they're actually at odds with God's covenant people. And yet remember how deeply Abraham loves this boy. It was four years earlier when God had promised this child, and Abraham goes before God, Genesis 17, verse 18, and he says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, I know you can do all things. I know that you can give us this child of promise, but I really, really love this boy. I'd love it if it was him. Oh, friends, can you hear the ache in that father's heart? The ache for the election of God. God, would you please choose my child? And God said no. It is an understatement then when we come to chapter 21, verse 11, and it says the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. There is a deep love that this father has for this child, a longing for this child to be included in the promises of God. But consider this. Had Ishmael stayed, he would have been at least a co-heir. It's one of the fill-in-the-blanks for you. The way it worked in the ancient world, the, uh, the oldest son received uh, a double portion of the father's inheritance. So if you had four sons, you would actually divide the inheritance into five pieces, and the oldest son gets two, that's a double portion, and everybody else gets one piece of the inheritance. That meant Ishmael would have received the double portion of the inheritance from Abraham, and God says, I haven't chosen him. It's through Isaac that your offspring shall be named. And not only are you not going to be a co-heir, but you are outside of the covenant altogether. Oh man, let's just feel the weight of God's choosing in this. Feel the anguish in Abraham's heart as he longs, God, would you please change your mind? And yet God always keeps his promises. In all things, God is working for our good and his glory. We should feel the tension here enough to say, I don't think this is fair. I don't think God's choosing of Isaac over Ishmael is fair. Because once we've got to that place, we're ready to read Romans chapter 9. That, that's the objection that Paul is answering in verse 14 when he says, What should we say then? Is God unjust? Certainly not. Verse 15, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on who I will have compassion. Romans 9, verse 13, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Again, two babies born. Before they've done anything good or bad, God has said, I have chosen this one and I have rejected this one. So we should stop and say, why? Is God being unjust? Is God choosing favorites one over another? In all things, God is good. Amen? Okay, it's snowy and you're sleepy. We'll try it again. In all things, God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. That means when we're, when we're looking at God's sovereign election, we say, God, you're good. We don't get it. We don't know. 
We have Abraham's heart. We love this boy. We want him to be in. And in all that, we, we back up and we say, yet God is good. God is not just showing favoritism. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God, showing no partiality and accepting no bribe. This isn't God showing partiality one to another. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God does not show favoritism. And yet what we see here is election. That God has chosen from the foundation of time to have mercy and compassion on some and on others to show his justice and his perfect judgment. The point is that there is grace coming in Christ. He is the the promised child who is coming because all the world is actually under judgment. This isn't God choosing to be mean to one person. All the world apart from Christ is under judgment. It's actually God choosing to show kindness to some who don't deserve it. It is the covenant of salvation that we see promised in this child, Isaac. Flip with me, if you would, into the New Testament, Galatians chapter 4. Paul is going to mention this scene that we're reading in Genesis chapter 21 specifically in talking about the election of God. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 22, says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Skip down to verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Friends, there's no other explanation than the sovereign choosing of God. This isn't favoritism. It's not uh, those that he liked more or thought could produce more. This is God showing unmerited favor, unmerited grace to those who don't deserve it. It's amazing. We don't have time to to talk or think about it too deeply now. uh, Lord willing, we'll address it in the midweek podcast. It's amazing that God uses Sarah and some of that mama bear instinct that I think we still see in moms today because she comes and says cast out the slave woman and that child cast out uh, means almost certain death God uses that and says Abraham I know this makes no sense to you I know it grieves your heart do what she says why because God bends all things to his will that's where we started like the sovereign will of God will be Accomplished. So look at verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He took bread and a skin of water. He gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulders. That's that symbolic of her bearing the responsibility for this child. We know that because it says, along with the child. How old's the boy again? 17 ish? Right? Just, just sling him over your shoulder. Uh, no, this is symbolic. Uh, the 
The weight of responsibility for this kid is now solely on you. I'm no longer his provider and protector. And sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. This is a desperate situation for her. And she's been here before. If you remember back in Genesis 17, she was there before. That time she didn't get cast out. That time she ran away. And she's pregnant in the desert. And God comes and says, I, I'm the God who hears you and sees you. And that's her response. You are the God who sees me. So we see the figurative language of her bearing responsibility, not just for herself, but of this child upon her shoulder for their survival and it's impossible. She can't do it. She lacks the power to save this boy, and she gives up. Look at verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. How old's the boy? 17. And then she went and sat down opposite him a good ways off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. In other words, both of them are at a rather desperate place physically. A rather desperate place emotionally. She sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? What an understatement. What troubles you, Hagar, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. What an interesting statement that God heard the voice of the boy. Does that sound strange to any of the rest of you? She's crying out too. She's calling out, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this situation? God, have you left us here to die? And God hears the voice of the boy. It's been about 17 years that this boy has heard day after day after day after day from his father, this is the God who has revealed himself to us. This is the God who has made covenant with us. This is the way that we worship him. This is the way that we sacrifice to him. This is the way that we pray to him. He has learned to pray to Yahweh by listening to Abraham. But not unto salvation. Just consider that. And the only way, and we can't say that 100%, but we see no evidence of that salvation being passed on generationally to his children. Isaac's going to have the same thing. Day after day after day, this is the covenant of God. This is the God that we sacrifice, we worship. This is the God that we pray to. And even today, we talk about the children of Israel, his descendants. The Ishmaelites, by the time we came to them, we read it earlier are against the people of God. He had learned what it sounds like to be in the covenant family of God, but not actually a part of the family of God. He's like the child who grew up in a Christian home, and yet the faith was never his own. Come to church week after week. Know all the songs and Sunday school answers. And yet it was never that child's faith. Man, we see that again and again. The statistics say that you take a a church kid and you send him off to a university. And by the way, statistically, it doesn't really matter if you send him to a Christian university or a secular university. 80% of them walk away from the faith. And I would say, no, they didn't. They walked away from their family's faith 
because it was never their own. Oh, this is a strong reminder, a beautiful reminder to us as parents to be diligent in pouring in, pointing our children towards Jesus. We only have a short window of time with them. It's also a reminder of the frailty of human parenting. As we see this mother in a desperate situation and she's just ready to give up. I'm out, I'm out of options. I'm out of energy. The best I can hope for is try not to watch him die. Albert Moeller, in commenting on this passage of Scripture, uh, gives a beautiful, almost like pep talk to Hagar. He says, you put him under the bush because you couldn't bear to watch him die, but he was not under the protection of that bush. He was under the protection of God. Oh, desperate, weary parents, hear that one more time. We get so exhausted thinking, I'm going to do the best we can to protect and cover our children, but your children are not ultimately under your protection, they're under God's protection. Which is why every time we talk to them about God, we should be talking ten times to God about them. God, don't let these just be stories to our kids. God, don't let this just be a time of family worship to our kids. I pray that this week there has been a rich new tradition, a new heritage of family worship that has sprung up in your house for some of you. I know some of those stories, and they are precious and encouraging, but ultimately they are under God's protection, not ours. So we say, oh God, please save them. I don't care if they're 8 years old or 28 years old or 48 years old. They belong under God's protection. God, please save them. It's not too, while there's breath, it's not too late. And here's what God says to Hagar. You better grab onto him. Remember, God said, I'm going to save him. This was the promise God gave to Abraham. I'm going to save him because he's your child. Because he's your offspring, not only am I going to save his life, but I'm going to make a great nation out of him as well. That promise was not made to Hagar. It was made to Ishmael. And so God, look at verse 18, says, Up, lift up the boy, and you better hold on tight to him. Hold fast to him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. If you want to survive this thing, you better hang on to that kid. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled a skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. Now, I... Part of my heart wants to say, and that meant that at least Ishmael was part of the covenant people of God. Yet we're not guaranteed that. This could just be the blessing because God had promised Abraham, this is your son, I'm going to take care of him. At least while he walks on this earth. Man, but again, parents, how many of you would settle for your child a happy and long physical life on this earth and an eternity separated from the King of kings and Lord of lords? We'd say, absolutely not. God, you do whatever you have to to get their attention, to turn their eyes on you. Because this life, whether it is 10 years or 110 years, is but a breath and it's gone and eternity is forever. God opens her eyes. God sustained, God blessed Ishmael. 
but at least for his descendants outside of the covenant. And yet, let's just, let's kind of wrap things up by reminding ourselves this story isn't actually about Isaac and Ishmael. It's funny, we get, we get like 45 minutes into it, and we've already forgotten this story's about God and his covenant, because we're just thinking about these two boys. The story isn't about Isaac or Ishmael, it's about Jesus. Because it was in Isaac that the son of promise, Jesus, would be put on display. Would be foreshadowed. That the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world would come just as this promised child had come. As we've read in Genesis and we've, we've learned, I hope by this point, to be looking for how is this pointing me towards Jesus. We see this as we closed. God always keeps his promises in his perfect time. It's the last fill in the blank for you. God always keeps his promises in his perfect time. Sometimes we just don't get to see it, even in our lifetime. They waited 25 years. That's a really short amount of time. If you remember, when we were studying in Exodus, God said, I'm going to bring deliverance to my people who are held in bondage in Egypt in only 400 short years. That meant generation was born and died and born and died and born and died and born and died before they ever saw the deliverance of God, before they saw God keep his promise. But God always keeps his promises in his time. And friends, you and I are heirs of that promise today. We're part of Christ and we are part of Isaac. That means we're part of this blessing of Abraham and in Christ adopted into God's family. That, that's the whole point of this story, that God is choosing a family for himself. And friends, we should marvel that that includes us. Worship team, if you would come on up. I want to just wrap us up today by asking a question that I think we ask periodically, but maybe not often enough. A lot of times you get to the end of the sermon and the pastor says something like, now if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, if you're an unbeliever, now's the time. Put your hope in Christ. Repent of your sins. Trust in him unto salvation. And we forget that there's some here that aren't just outside unbelievers, they're inside unbelievers. They're our own children who maybe are still kids and maybe have grown up. And you have believed that you're part of God's family because you were born into a Christian family. And I would beg you, kids of all ages, make it your own today. Man, if you grew up in church, but it never was really yours. Your mom and dad still have to drag you to church. You have no desire for God's word or God's people. In fact, you do everything you can to live your life the exact opposite, to get away with as much as you can. I would plead with you today, rightly see yourself currently, like Ishmael, living under that blessing of the covenant family of God, and yet this isn't yours. It doesn't belong to you. Trust in Christ. Make it your own. Ishmael learned how to pray by listening to his dad. Some of you can pray really well, and it's not actually your prayer. It's just borrowed. 
Make it your own. Acknowledge your sin. Trust in Christ. Live obedient to his word. Kids, this promise is for you. This isn't just for the grown-ups. It's not just for the mature. Like, this is the adult part I can shut off and go back to coloring. Kids, this call to salvation is for you. This story is about two boys born into this household. Where you just say in your heart, God, please choose me. You're in a different place than Ishmael was. Ishmael, this was all about this covenant promise that God could choose you. Even today, God, choose me. Help me trust in Christ. Sinner, this promise is for you. God isn't requiring of you some new law to keep, some rules and regulations that you have to keep perfectly to be accepted before God. Christ has done that. That you come before God and say, God, please choose me. Change my heart. Help me to trust in Christ. If you look in your bulletin, we're on our Facebook page, you, you'll see the family talk and prayer. Spend some time talking about some of those issues of what it looks like to wait for the promise of God. What it looks like to grow weary in waiting and even wanting to give up in it and yet be reminded as you memorize together, you are faithful to your promises, oh my God. And then ask God to help you to trust him as you wait. Father, we thank you for your great grace given to your people. You have been kind to those who don't deserve it. Lord, the truth is that apart from that grace, before that grace, we rightly stand condemned with the rest of the world. Because we love ourselves, we serve ourselves, and we reject your will, your authority, your word, your Savior. And yet in that Savior, in Christ, you have chosen by your Spirit to open our eyes, just like you did for Hagar. You opened her eyes and she saw this well. She saw this salvation. God, we were rebels to your will. We were hateful against you. And because, not of our will, but because of yours, you opened our eyes and we saw Jesus and we can't unsee him. I pray, God, would you do that? For people in this room right now who maybe have lived their whole lives going to church but have never had their eyes open, they haven't really got it. In this moment, sovereign God, would you open their eyes to see Jesus? I thank you, Lord, that you don't ask us to get the whole thing right at one time. You open our eyes and we say, there it is. And then you walk with us, you lead us. You lead us towards repentance, you lead us towards grace. You lead us towards faithfulness and obedience in your word. God, would you please do that with people in this room right now? Please, oh God, do that with our families. We trust you, oh God. Whether we see it or not, we say, God, you are good. And all that you do is good. And we trust that you're working for our good and your glory. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.